Sean McCraney and the Betty Boppers. Oops. <laughs> Live from the Mecca of Mormonism, this is Heart of the Matter, where Mormonism meets biblical Christianity face to face. And I'm your host, Sean McCraney. If you have family or friends who can't watch uh, on television, have them go to www.hotv.hom. HOTM.tv, and uh, they can watch streaming video from anywhere in the world. We also have all of our shows archived from 2006, 7, 8, 9, and now 10, available there to watch uh, whenever you'd like. I was a born-again Mormon. It's on its way. So now listen, for five years, we've given the book away to anyone who wanted it for free. We are still doing that today through the internet via downloadable PDF. Go to www.bornagainmormon.com. However, if you want this hard copy of the book, you have to order it, and it's going to cost you $12 plus shipping and handling. All of this is necessary or we wouldn't do it. So remember, you can still get the whole manuscript free, but if you want the hard copy that we publish, uh, go to bornagainmormon.com and you can order it now. How about joining a weekly verse-by-verse, never-denominational Bible study, where campus every Sunday at either University of Utah and Salt Lake City or at our North Campus held at Alpine Church beginning Sunday, uh, May 30th from 3 to 4 p.m. Alpine Church is located at 5050 South, 1275 West in Riverdale. Go to www.calvarycampus.com for more information like times and directions. Just an FYI and a call for suggestions. Now sit up and take notice. In 2011, Heart of the Matter is going to do a year in guests. And uh, I'm really excited about this as we want to interview any and all who have a viable pr uh, perspective on the Mormon Christian debate. We're looking for suggestions and or volunteers who would like to be a special guest in 2011. If you are LDS and want to appear as a guest, you must, during our interview, have a singular topic on which you want to dialogue, priesthood, nature of God, restoration, and this can be the only thing we discuss, and we're going to keep it limited depending on what your expertise is in the Mormon Christian debate. We're hoping to have each and every guest bring something unique or specialized to the table. If you have the ability to communicate your knowledge with our uh, growing uh, audience, we have 52 spots open for 52 dates. Please email us at Sean at aletheamedia.com and tell us who you think ought to be a special guest on Heart of the Matter in 2011. A year in guests. 
On Sunday afternoon, I had the opportunity to speak at Leighton Hills Baptist Church with Pastor James. Now, I have never spoken in a Baptist church before, and I thought maybe it was a setup. Uh, maybe they were going to get me in there and throw me to the floor and change my hair and put a tie on me or something. But not so. It was a great experience. The place was uh, pretty packed, and I found people and the pastor warm, inviting, and filled with a deep and inviting love for the Lord. I mean, they even had, I learned, a paintball extravaganza about three weeks ago, for goodness sakes. Baptists and paintballs, what is the world coming to? Well, listen, they really got something good going on over at the Leighton Hills Baptist Church. Something for everybody. If you live in that area, check them out. I think you will discover a church that loves the Lord, teaches His Word, and they take care of each other. Last week, our program was about familiar spirits. We talked at length about the fact that there are powers of darkness that exist in this fallen world that are able to produce things of benefit to mankind, but that followers of the true and living God ought to run as fast as they can from them. Well, a good friend of mine after the show, Dave B., reminded me of a verse that speaks on how to discern false prophets who operate by powers of darkness. Now, we are all probably familiar with one way on how to discern from the Word of God between uh, a true and false prophet. If the false or if the prophet says something in the name of the Lord and it doesn't happen, right? That's one way. Deuteronomy 18.22 states it plainly. Listen to this. Quote, when a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the thing follows not, nor comes to pass, that is the thing which the Lord has not spoken. But the Lord has spoken, but the prophet has spoken it presumptuously, and thou shalt not be afraid of him. So that's one test by which you can tell. When we talk about prophets in the coming months, we will cover all the false prophecies Joseph Smith uttered over the course of his life. But what if a person comes and prophesies correctly? Do we just then blankly follow them because the things they have said have come to pass? Never. And this is, uh, in these last days, there are going to be people coming, according to Scripture, who will do great works, marvelous works, miracles, spouting prophecies that may come to pass, who will have hearts as dark as night. So this is what Dave B. brought to my attention. Listen to what Deuteronomy 13, 1 through 5 says, okay? This is really good. It says, If there arise a prophet among you, or a dreamer of dreams, and gives you a sign or a wonder, and the sign or the wonder comes to pass. But he spake unto thee, saying, Let us go after other gods, which thou hast not known, and let us serve them. Thou shalt not hearken unto the words of that prophet, or the dreamer of dreams, for the Lord your God proveth you to know whether ye love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. Jumping to verse 5, it concludes, And that prophet or dreamer of dreams shall be put to death, because he has spoken to turn you away from the Lord your God. So there is just another tool which the Word of God provides us to protect us against the dark forces. First, if a person says that he or she is speaking for God and it doesn't come to pass, then run. But secondly, even if their prophecy comes to pass, uh, uh, if that prophet attempts to lead you away from the living God to what it says, other gods which you have not known, 
run even faster and into the arm of him who never fails, even the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, uh, even Yeshua the Christ. And with that, let's have a word of prayer. Dear, uh, dear Heavenly Father, we need you so much in our lives and uh, need you in our ministry, need you with people who are seeking. Help me tonight on the program. Uh, help our volunteers, our studio audience, our audience out there in the world that uh, what we talk about will be of benefit to them and the things that are not of you will just fall away and die. We pray for this, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Speaking of God, Exodus 20, verse 3 says, Thou shalt not have, thou shalt have no other gods before me. Deuteronomy 5, 7 repeats it. Thou shalt have none other gods before me. In almost every warning hereafter in the scripture, God adds to his warning of have no gods before him, the declaration, nor serve them. Tonight we are in the F's of our alphabetical study and we're going to examine family and marriage as it relates and is seen from both the LDS perspective and the Christian. Now, we all know, most everybody, that marriage and the loving family unit is a build, basic building block of society. We know that marriage and family is ordained of God. Christians and Mormons alike strive to build good marriages and loving families. Families and marriages can be, can be a great blessing. Fathers and mothers and brothers and sisters are foundational in a refuge, in a resource for our peace, and as a source of direction and support at times. But, and this is very important to our discussion tonight, marriage and family, while a gift from God or gifts from God, should never take the highest priority in our lives any more than our occupations or our avocations or other blessings that God gives us should take precedence in our lives. Notice that in our description of what families may supply, we said a refuge, a resource of peace, a source of direction and support, not the refuge, the support, uh, the, the source of peace, the resource of direction and support. Why? Because to Christians, Jesus is our refuge. He and he alone is our peace and he is the sole source of our direction and our support. Not our marriages, not our spouses or our families, great or small. Far too often in an active LDS life, family, marriage and even spouses become gods before him. They, are all, they become things that are in some ways sort of worshipped. They're promoted, they're adored. And well-meaning people unknowingly find themselves serving other gods. So how can a person tell uh, who or what their god is? Where it's where they place their primary focus and their highest allegiance. It is what they give most of their time to, their thoughts to, their attentions to. It is to whom they turn when times get tough and to whom they take their directives. People who uh, have the world as, the God, as their God, they serve her and they have her as their primary focus. They give her their highest allegiance in terms of time and their thoughts and their attention. And it is from the world that they take their directives. So it is with people who place marriage or family ahead of truly worshiping and having a relationship and trusting in his words and his will. 
intercultural Mormonism, which in my opinion is a direct product of Mormon doctrine. When it comes to Mormon doctrine, there are great differences between what the LDS think about marriage and family and what Bible-believing Christians think. Let me explain. Mormons believe that the single most important decision they can make on this earth is the decision of whom they marry and where they marry them. In the LDS produced student manual, Achieving a Celestial Marriage, it reads, quote, the major crowning point of the law which man must obey is eternal marriage. Therein lies the keys of eternal life. LDS President Joseph Fielding Smith said, quote, Since marriage is ordained of God and the man is not without the woman, neither the woman without the man, there can be no exaltation to the fullness of the blessings of the celestial kingdom outside of the marriage relationship. Earlier, LDS prophet and president Brigham Young said, quote, No man can be perfect without the woman, so no woman can be perfect without the man to lead her. I tell you the truth as it is in the bosom of all eternity. If a man wishes to be saved, he cannot be saved without a woman by his side. Wow. The Bible says what it takes to be saved is faith. And... Brigham Young says, a woman by our side. LDS Apostle Marky e. Peterson taught, quote, We must realize that we can no more have exaltation in the celestial kingdom without temple marriage than we can have membership in the church without baptism. So why is this external, uh, why is this eternal marriage element essential to exaltation in Mormonism? It has to do with what the sealed couple, that's what happens when they go into a temple, they're sealed together, will do once they become a truly celestialized couple. They will have eternal celestial sexual relationships. I don't mean that their sexual relationship itself will be eternal, at least I don't think it will, but that it will be an eternal activity, okay? Like, woo you know, this is what they're looking to, you know? You see, in this way, the LDS believe they can have what is called eternal increase, which means an LDS worthy, faithful, sealed in the temple man and his worthy and faithful wife or wives will be able to continually procreate children eternally, presumably in order to populate the worlds that they create. The founding prophet Joseph Smith himself said, except a man and his wife enter into an everlasting covenant and be married for eternity while in this probation by the power and authority of the holy priesthood, the Mormon church, they will cease to increase when they die. That is, they will not have any children after the resurrection. But those who are married by the power and authority of the priesthood in this life and continue without committing the sin against the Holy Ghost will continue to increase and have children in celestial glory. Now, regarding marriage, when Jesus himself was on the earth, a group came to him known as the Sadducees. And these guys were a religious bunch of people who did not believe in angels, and they did not believe in a resurrection. And they came up to Jesus to try to trip him up. And they said, quote, uh, verse 28, Master, Moses wrote unto us, if any man's brother die having a wife and he die without children, 
that his brother should take his wife and raise up seed unto his brother. There were therefore seven brethren, these Sadducees said. There were seven brethren, and the first took a wife and died without children. And the second took her to wife, and he died childless. And the third took her, and in the like manner the seven also, and they left no children and died. Last of all, the woman died also. So this is what they, they said to Jesus. Look, there's a, it, it was a Levitical, uh, it's like Levitical polygamy, sort of. And what happens is a Levitical law where a man marries a woman and the man dies. Well, the woman's supposed to marry the brother of the man so that the, the family can continue on increase. Well, they say, well, the one, because this guy had seven brothers and she married all of them and she didn't have any children from any of them. And so they say, last of all, the woman died. They asked this question. Therefore, in the resurrection... Whose wife of them is she? For seven had her to wife. Now, Jesus is going to teach them a plain truth. This is right from his mouth. Remember, they did not believe either in the resurrection or in angels. Ready? And Jesus answering said unto them, The children of this world marry and are given in marriage. But they which shall be accounted worthy to obtain that world, meaning where his kingdom is, and the resurrection of dead, neither marry nor are given in marriage. Neither can they die anymore, for they are equal unto angels and are the children of God, being the children of the resurrection. In Matthew's account, when the Sadducees approached Jesus, it adds, you, Jesus said to them, You do err, not knowing the scriptures, nor the power of God. For in the resurrection they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are as the angels of God in heaven. Jesus makes the doctrine of marriage after this life, among other things, perfectly clear to the Sadducees who are questioning him. First, he delineates between his kingdom and this kingdom, this world. When Jesus is talking to Pilate, and Pilate asks him, hey, uh, are you a king? And Jesus answers, my kingdom is not of this world. So when he talks to the Sadducees here, he's talking about his kingdom in the future. And he says, in that kingdom, they don't get married. They are not married, but they are, as, they are children of the resurrection. They are equal to angels in, in, in their light and in their power and everything else. This is what he is picturing us to be. So in answering the Sadducees, he made it clear that th this is not his kingdom. Then he says, the children of this world marry and are given to marriage. All this means is that while we're in bodies of flesh and blood, as children of this world, we will be having sex and bearing children through these bodies, and therefore we will marry according to God's law. This is why there is marriage, to sustain the most orderly and functional way to bring about and care for children. But then Jesus makes it clear what those who follow him what it will be like for them later. He says, but they which shall be accounted worthy to obtain that world and the resurrection from the dead, neither marry nor are given in marriage, neither can they die anymore. So he's talking about after everybody's dead, he says, because he says, neither can they die anymore. He says, they aren't going to be married. They're not going to be given in marriage. It's not going to exist. It's an earthly, fleshly experience. And they are the children of God then being the children of the resurrection. In other words, Jesus makes it clear several facts. One, there is a resurrection. Two, there is no marriage in this resurrected state. And three, there, is no, there are such things as angels because those who are worthy to obtain his kingdom by faith will be equal unto them.
That's what our future state is going to be like. And those angels are powerful, uh, celestial, heavenly beings. In Joseph Smith's Christianity, one of the things he did was he sold people on the non-biblical utopian idea of what heaven was like. He took earth life and he applied it to heaven and he took fictional ideas of what heaven could be like and he brought it down to earth. And it's fanciful and it's romantic and it's hopeful, but it's absolutely contrary to the word of God. So there is the difference in the Mormon Christian comparative when it comes to marriage. The LDS say a person must not only be married in their temples, but that unless they are, they cannot become gods. But biblical, biblical Christians agree with Jesus, who said that the children of this world marry and are given in marriage. And then he goes on to tell what happens. Now ask yourself this. Are the angels in heaven up there having sexual relationships and procreating other angel babies to, to go on and on? Because Jesus says that the people who are of his kingdom will be equal to the angels, will be the children of the resurrection. And so you don't believe in angels doing this. Do you see how Joseph lost that point altogether? It's not even in their existences of light. Well, remember, all of this humanist self-focus on marriage, marriage is merely a step in their progression towards Godhood because then families begin to play an important role. So celestial marriage is first, key, eternal, even though it's contrary to Scripture. In the LDS manual, achieving a, a celestial marriage, we start to learn about why. It says in this manual, consider this fact, quote, your marriage is a laboratory for godhood. Okay? <laughs> I'm going to be in serious trouble with my godhood if that's the case. <laughs> so I'm just kidding. Uh, well, so, this statement echoes the romantic bill of goods Joseph Smith sold the world about being able to create children here and in heaven through the same sexual male-female relationships. And the byproduct of this is this wonderful ideal of families, or more particularly celestial or Mormon families being together forever in these celestial realms. Like many romantic sort of humanistic themes Joseph Smith concocted out of his mind, the LDS have taken the concept of earthly families and romanticized them ad nauseum. In their proprietary song, Families Can Be Together Forever, they sing this. I have a family here on earth. They are so good to me. They haven't been to my family when I grew up, but no, just sort of kidding. Uh, I want to live my life with them through all eternity. Families can be together forever through Heavenly Father's plan I always want to be with my own family, and the Lord has shown me how I can. The Lord has shown me how I can. Completely took Jesus' words, and he just, they just rewrote these nice little songs, and the kids sing them, and it, the whole thing is focused on family. This hero worship of the human institution called family can lead to an extremely ugly manipulation. I cannot tell you how many people I meet, and I'm talking about good people, seeking people, who teeter on the edge of emotional breakdowns uh, because their families are so good to them. And they, uh, people have, uh, there are people who have come to know the living truth of God, who know Mormonism is built on a number of deceptions, who know the teachings of Joseph Smith were contrived, but who are so afraid of disappointing their family, their parents who have laid this stuff on them, that they even reject the knowledge of the true God because this thing has taken precedence over their relationship. 
The Lord foresaw the power, yes, even the manipulation families could hold over people. And throughout scripture reminds all of his children not to let family get in between him and them. In Deuteronomy 13, 6, 8, and 9, the Lord says to the children of Israel, listen to this. If thy brother, the son of thy mother, or thy son, or thy daughter, or the wife of thy bosom, or thy friend, which is as thine own soul, entice thee secretly, saying, let us go and serve other gods, which thou hast not known, thou nor thy fathers, thou shalt not consent unto him, nor hearken unto him, neither shalt thou give an eye of pity to him, neither shalt thou spare, neither shalt thou conceal him, but thou shalt surely kill him. Thine hand shall be first upon him and put him to death, and afterwards the hands of all the people. That doesn't sound like this, this holding the family up as the highest uh, bastion of, of uh, earthly goodness. It is God first and everything he wants first. Family, he says, look, if the family tells you, even if it's your, uh, someone who, your friend who has the same soul as you have, or it says the wife of your bosom, or your uh, mother, or your son, or your daughter, he says, if they try to seek and get you to come away from the true and living God, the Old Testament law was kill them. And then let the, the community kill them. That's heavy stuff. In Matthew 10, 35, Jesus himself said, I am come to set a man at variance against his father and the daughter against her mother and the daughter-in-law against the mother-in-law. And a man's foes shall be they his own household. He that loveth his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. I have a family here on earth, but Jesus makes them mad. I'm going to follow my great king and leave my mom and dad. Families can be so damn fair weathered. I just don't understand. But I have here with me a king of majesty who says the rock and not the sand. Who says the rock and not the sand? Like in all things. Thank you. I'll be here all week, folks. A Bravino Hall next uh, Monday. Like all things, Jesus tells all believers who their real family is. When he says of his own family, for whosoever shall do the will of my Father which is in heaven, the same is my brother and sister and mother. Before we go to the phones, I know there are a lot of you out there who live, as Henry David Thoreau said, quiet lives of desperation because the family and cultural pressures that are upon you. To you, I say, put Jesus first. Put your trust in God completely. Step out and speak his name for his name's sake, remembering what he promised in Matthew, quote, Everyone that has forsaken houses, or brethren, or sisters, or father, or mother, or wife, or children, or lands, for my name's sake, shall receive, receive a hundredfold and shall inherit everlasting life. Remembering that Jesus himself said, who the LDS say would never do anything to break up a family, Jesus himself said because of his coming, quote, the father would be divided against the son and the son against the father and mother against the daughter and daughter against the mother, the mother-in-law against the daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against the mother-in-law. 
If any man come to me and hate not his father, he doesn't mean that in the literal sense, and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. Those are strong words from the, the all peace, love and understanding Jesus. And what he means to say is do not have any other God before him. And if you have a knowledge of the true and living God, do not let father or mother, brother or sister, husband, wife, children sway you from following what you need to do. God of heaven will bless you as you give him everything in your life. I promise you he will make things better. It can be hard, I know, but he will bless you if you put him as the only God in your life and not your family. All right, let's open up the phone lines, 801-973-8820, 801-973-TV20. We're going to run a partner's uh, thing for a minute, and we're going to come back to Mary in Ogden, Ginny in South Ogden, David in Provo, Brad in Ogden, and it looks like one of them's LDS. See you then. I'm Sean McCraney. You're watching Heart of the Matter. Television is becoming an expensive proposition for us, and so we developed a program called Partners for those who are led of the Lord to participate and uh, are in a position to. Now, why, with all the great Christian ministries out there, would you want to partner with Aletheia Ministries? Let me give you a couple reasons. One, we try to use your funds optimally. That means every dollar is used to get the, the program on television, on streaming video throughout the world, on, in our archives, and now on Dish TV beginning on uh, the 8th of June. Second, Mormonism is growing strong. 65,000 missionaries every day knocking on doors, 850 people per day coming out of evangelical Christianity and joining Mormonism. Uh, finally, the Lord has blessed the, the ministry with great fruit. We're so appreciative. How to partner with us? Couple ways. First, you can uh, go online to www.hotm.tv and just look on how to partner and go from there. Second, you can call us at 888 868-4686, or you can write us at Aletheia Ministries, 4760 Highland Drive, number 515, Salt Lake City, Utah, 84117. We truly appreciate all of your support, all of it. God bless you as you consider partnering with us in the future. We are going to Mary in Ogden, who is LDS. Mary is a first-time caller. Mary, you're on Heart of the Matter. I am. I'm you're here. on the air, Mary. Okay, thank you. You're welcome. Right, Mary, you're on the air. Okay, so who am I speaking to? You're speaking to Sean. Are you the guy I see on television now? You, I am. Okay, so this can be live. You're, you're talking to me. Okay, I, I don't usually turn the television on this time of night, but I did today, and I'm quite interested to see you do a whole program against the LDS Church. That's just interesting for me. How, how come, Mary? Why is it interesting to you? Um, I'm not asking. I'm just making comments to you because the comment is... Because the LDS Church doesn't spend a whole television program decrying other religions. Well, the, the LDS Church instead spends billions of dollars, Mary on telling the world that they are the only true church on the face of the earth and every other Christian denomination is an abomination to God. Okay, as I say, it's only a comment. You're entitled to say as you wish, but that's my comment. And that's I'm mine. All Thank right. You. Thank you, Mary. 
Thank you. Bye. Okay, bye-bye. All right, we are going to uh, Jenny in South Ogden. Jenny, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hi, Sean. Um, thanks for taking my call and lovely song, by the way. That was awesome. Well... Um, <laughs> Uh, I I had a discussion. I used to be a Mormon. Um, my family, uh, some of them still are, and I had a discussion with my sister, um, and she was talking about the subject of um, the race and how they couldn't hold the priesthood. Yeah. And she said that although they can currently hold it, um, there was a story long ago of Shem and Ham, and that's where it all started, that um, Ham was cursed, and and that's what started the whole curse. And she tried to tell me that it was only his line that was cursed. However, looking at the history of all of his brothers, they went all over the world, and they were all kinds of different nationalities. But if I'm correct, um, if you were LDS, um, before 1974, if you were any kind of minority, you could not hold the priesthood. Is that right? No. It's only uh, people who had uh, black blood, is what they would say. If they had one drop of Negro, this is how they would say it, Negro blood, they could not hold the uh, priesthood. Okay, what about Pacific Islanders? They could. I, um, I'm married to one, and they couldn't. Well, I don't, maybe he has some black blood in him. Or maybe he wasn't worthy according to the way they, they interviewed him or something. But it was only uh, black blood. Okay, and then I also, it was funny because she was telling me that as if I should be relieved because <laughs> after this many generations, I should be grateful that my family would be saved at this point and we wouldn't. Oh, uh, God. Well, that's a yeah. that's a classic conversation you had, wasn't it? Yeah, it it made me want to throw up. But yeah. I'm wondering if you could explain the whole hem and shem thing to me. Yeah, you know, it really wasn't that, Jenny. It uh, if you read uh, early uh, LDS writings, it was from Cain, and it was the mark placed upon Cain, and what it was was that mark came through uh, Ham, who married Egyptus. Egyptus who had the black blood, and that's how the black race got through the flood. So uh, it really didn't originate with uh, Ham. It originated in LDS teachings with Cain, and that was the mark or the curse that was on, uh, on the black race. Wow. Yeah. Um, Even better, huh? Because, well, they have an article of faith, don't they, that says that um, you will be punished for your own sins and not for Adam's transgression. Transgression? Yeah, they did, but it didn't apply to Cain's murder. That was a, a curse that was given because it was, uh, it was passed on Cain. So you're right, there's a little discrepancy there with Adam's transgression. Well, maybe they're just talking about Adam as a person, not Cain. Could have been. <laughs> yeah, it's oh, hard to okay. tell. Well, that answered my question. All right, Thank it's you. unfortunate, but uh, keep on going, Jenny. Okay. Thank you take you care. Bye-bye. So we are going to David in Provo. He's a first-time caller. David, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hey, how's it going, Sean? Going well. How are you? Hey, I'm, I'm at the real Mecca of Mormonism right here in Provo. That's what I'm told. Yeah. I mean, if my neighbors knew I was calling you, they'd probably crucify me. Wow. 
And uh, anyways, I was I used to be an LDS member. I was not active for a long time. I came, I moved from Southern California to Utah. I had a dream, and God told me, don't worry that you drink or smoke, just believe in me. I went to Mormon Church for a couple of weeks, and uh, I talked to a missionary, because I had some problems with the church and the whole Jesus coming to America. And he told me, pray to God, you know, and he'll tell you this is the true church. That did not happen. I'm now Lutheran. And you're now Lutheran. Yes. And, well, uh, that's excellent. How, are you married? Yeah. What? Are you married? No, I am engaged. Is she a Lutheran? She is now. <laughs> Was she Mormon? She used to be, yes. Wow. Well, that's good. You're going to affect entire generations, sounds like. Yeah. So my question for you is, will you tell us your temple name, what they gave you in the Mormon temple as a name? Nobody will tell me their, their temple name. Well, I'll tell you what, David, I have no problem telling people that name, but I don't do it on the air, and, and, and it's because um, there are people who really hold that sacred, and uh, they don't understand yet. And so if I were to do that, that's like the height of, it's like, it's like somebody burning a, burning a cross of Christ and, and smashing a cross. or uh, it's, it's something that's just reprehensible, and so it doesn't go a long way. So I just don't go into what the temple things are. I can talk about things they can talk about, but I don't go into the temple things on the show because it's, it's going to be counterproductive, and it's going to hurt the people that we're trying to reach. I understand. Yeah, but if you really want to know it, I'll tell you sometime we meet. And, uh, and I'll give you uh, all the information you want to know. It's not that exciting. Okay. <laughs> all right, man. Thanks for calling. All right. Thanks. Talk to you later. Bye-bye. We're going to Brad in Ogden, XLDS, second-time caller. Brad, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hey, Sean. How's it going? Good. How are you doing? I'm good. Um, I'll try to get real quick so that you can get uh, some Mormon caller on. I know you like them. i got two questions and a comment. Um, the exalted thing, you know, I'm, uh, working with a few people here in Ogden, um, my parents being primary and they, there's apparently somewhere in the Bible that talks about being exalted, uh, along with Christ or something. I know the, the only one I can pull out of memory is, you know, he who exalts himself will be humbled and the humbled will be exalted. That one, I'm, you know, really not even sure of the definition of exalted, um, but I just can't place any place, I can't picture any place in the Bible saying that we'd be exalted alongside Christ, you know, so. Well, I don't have the reference with me, but there, there are discussions of us being heirs with Christ, and uh, there are discussions of us uh, be, be, being, it's like a, a synonym for exalted. But the, the difference is the Latter-day Saints have taken that, and what it means is, we, we become heirs of all that Christ has and we're taken up and we share in that completely at the, at the, bride, at the table of the uh, bridegroom. And we are all there and he opens up and what is his is the Father's, what the Father's is his and what is his is ours. And it is this oneness, this unity that's tough for us to understand. So it is a, a form of exaltation, but it is not us going up and becoming gods or, or becoming anything close to God. He is the beginning and the, he's the first and the last. There is none before him. There is none after him. 
And so they've right. taken that term, even though it does mention that in the Bible in a couple places, and they've misapplied it, and they've meant it to mean being exalted as becoming gods, and that's just a lie. Yeah. I, I knew about the one uh, being heirs with Christ. I can't even fathom what that's going to be like. Yeah. You Amazing. Know, um, and you think if we were going to be exalted as gods, there'd be a whole lot more description, you know, for us to, you know. Yeah. So, all right, brother, um, the second one real quick. You know, I know the fact is our past, present, and future sins are forgiven. Um, but where can I show somebody uh, where, where it talks about future sins being forgiven, you know? Anybody in the audience have a scripture off the top of their head? Hebrews 10.14. Our resident scholar, and just to let the audience know, I am not a scriptorian. I'm a researcher, and so that's why, I mean, I can remember some things, but I'm just not going to be, our scriptorian sits in the back in an orange shirt, and uh, so uh, I'm grateful for him. So very good. I really appreciate it, Brad. All right. Hey, one little quick thing then. Um, you talk every now and again about the word of wisdom and uh, how, and your comment has always been how it's not a commandment, but it, but it is a good idea, etc. Yeah. You know, I agree with that. Okay, well, uh, this little book that we both cherish so much called The Miracle, Miracle of Forgiveness, Spencer Kimball. It's a miracle you can get forgiveness by Spencer W. Kimball, yeah. Yeah, that wonderful little book. Page 56, given as a word of wisdom and not by commandment in 1833, it was declared a commandment in 1851 by a prophet of God. It should be considered in that light and violated and repented as of as with other sins of major seriousness. <laughs> oh, God, Kimball. You know, I, I really want to see him after I'm dead. I just want to see what that guy was all made of. It's one of the major sins to have tea. Oh, yeah. God. It's unbelievable. Have a good week, bro. Hey, you too. Thanks for calling. You bet, bro. Bye-bye. We're going to Norma and Leighton, first-time caller. Norma, you're on Heart of the Matter. Yes. Norma? Yes. Norma? I'm, st I'm here. Oh, okay. You're on the air, Norma. I'm on the air now. You're on the air. Okay, I have a question. Okay. I worked in a grocery store, and I'm from out of state, and I had a culture shock when I came here. And uh, a couple of things that came up, one was uh, that when a child came through, it screamed, okay, and I flinched. And I guess I made a, a, a funny face or something. And I was called to the office and was told that I don't know where you come from, what you think of families, but here in Utah, family is everything. Yeah. And that, you know, I should behave like the child was, you know, normal. I was expecting an apology from the mother. Wow. For the child's behavior. Wow. Okay. Instead, I got, uh, well, my supervisor says, you know, she might have had a, a bad day or whatever with all her kids, and I should understand that. Well, this happened more than once. I got called in twice. And it seems to me that they're sort of needy. They want you to babysit their kids. Wow. <laughs> uh, Good insight. Funny? Huh? That is funny, Norma. Yeah, does, does that sound wrong? How do you get, get along with these people? <laughs> Well, you know, it's, I guess it's that way with every group. Every culture uh -huh. has those who have the kids running amok, and then they have those who kind of watch over them and are trying to guide them. And every yeah. culture and group has those. So uh, my problem isn't so much about what you find out in the common parks and stores with 
the LDS because you find the same in a predominantly Catholic or Christian community too. But my problem is, is that they take that, what that supervisor told you, I don't know where you come, but families are everything here. And that's uh -huh. unfortunate because families are everything. And they uh, are, in yeah, my opinion, I was shocked. ahead of God. Yeah. Thanks for the call, Norma. Uh -huh. You take bye care. Bye-bye. We are going to Bob, who is XLDS on line two. Bob, you're on Heart of the Matter. Okay, I'm here. You're on the air. Okay. Yes. You're on the air. Okay. Hey, you know, just uh, some observations being a former Mormon is uh, I, I think the God of this universe wants us all to trust in ourselves, to learn to be able to trust in that influence that was given us, the, the Christ influence. Yeah. The Holy Ghost. I think when we, we give that power up to a church or to a prophet, we lose it. Yeah. within our own selves. Yeah. And, and, and the relationship thing about, you know, families and, and being married will bring you eternal happiness and life. You know, that, that's just not true. Yeah. You know, you make a really good point, um, Bob, because human nature, we always want, or most, most people want to take responsibility for their lives and they want to throw it on somebody else. And so the Mormon exactly. church really provides that with having a man who's willing to say, I'm the prophet, follow me. And the bishop yeah. saying, I'm the bishop, listen to me. And all yeah. these men and, and women now in, in, in these positions, I have the inspiration, listen to me. And so it makes it very easy to appeal to our natural inclination not to, to be responsible for our own actions and ourself. And so uh, they can say, I just followed the prophet. And that is just antithetical to what God wants. Like you said, he wants us to have a relationship and to go to him directly and trust him directly and, and have a relationship right with him. No one in between. And so it's a really good point, my friend. Thank you so much. Thank you. Okay, take care. Bye-bye. While the operators clear the call, we have Bradley, Bradley from Kuna, Idaho coming up. Uh, a question here. Hi, Sean. Thank you so much for the program. I left... Uh, I converted to Mormonism in a different country. Everything they told me seemed as truth. I was a very devoted member of the church. After moving from another country to a town full of Latter-day Saints, I thought that my faith would become even stronger, unfortunately. In the last few years, I've learned a lot of historical information. It's shocked me completely. I'm in active LDS now. I can't trust this church anymore. What scares me the most uh, he says, is that I find it difficult to trust any religion. I'm afraid I'll to be lied over and again. Sometimes I feel I can't even have any uh, faith in God since I had become a Mormon. And, you know, I wouldn't read this so often, but we get so many of these. And this is a fruit of a religion that sells you a package. It says, this is the truth. It says we are the only truth and you buy it and you believe it and it fails you or you discover the deceptions and then you are burned out on God and you throw him out altogether. This is a fruit of this religion and it happens all the time and this is not an exceptional email. It's from John and so he asked what to do and you know, it, it is tough and you go to the Lord and you go out into a starry night in this beautiful Utah sky you go to a secluded place and you just pour your heart out and you tell them, hey, I just don't believe you anymore. I don't believe any of this anymore. I'm so hurt by this. God, help me. Cry out to him. That is what he wants you to do. And you be honest with him and he will talk to you. 
Give him time, let him speak, and he does it through a number of different ways. Start reading his word, give him a chance, and you'll see that uh, your heart doesn't need to be burned out at all, John, from this religion and what it's done to you. We're going to Mary in Salt Lake City, a first-time caller, and then Bradley in Kuna, Idaho. Mary, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hi. Hi. I have a couple, I just have two things. Can you tell me why they call the Roman Catholic Church the Whores of Babylon? Um, it started with a reference in the Book of Mormon, and then uh, it really became popular with uh, Parley P. Pratt, and then, then after Pratt got a hold of her, Orson Pratt, and then McConkie in his Mormon doctrine in the 1960s, he popularized that one, and uh, he really threw down on the Catholic Church, and that's where it came. But it's, it's quoted in the Book of Mormon. It doesn't say the Catholics. It calls it a great and abominable church. And yeah, but McConkie, one of their apostles, is the one who made that really popular. They've backed away from that as a, as a church now, and they just say it's the universal church that is uh, fallen and corrupted. Yeah, my husband was telling me that they called it the great abominable church. Yeah, they used to a lot. Yeah, we find that it's, it's very difficult to be Catholic here. <laughs> it, it isn't easy, is it? Yeah, are are you Catholic, Mary? Catholic. Yes. Ta let, let me ask you something. Can I, Mary, can I ask you a question? Yes. Mary, how are you saved? You're a Catholic. How are you yes. saved? I was confirmed in the church. And is that how you're saved? You have to turn your TV down, Mary. TV down. Yes, that's how we're saved when we are a teenager. Um, he says when you go to, to um, you're confirmed in the church, you decide that you want to be Catholic and you're going to spend your life as a Catholic. And so that is what saves you, Mary? Yes, I've gone to another religion, but I've come back to my home religion. Yeah. Well, I, I want to say something to you, Mary, and I'm not sure all Catholics believe as you do. They might, or many, but I know some good Catholic people who don't agree with that. But Mary, that religion is not going to save you. Your, your faith in that, that, that religion, that institution, is not going to do anything for you. What, it's, what needs to happen, Mary, is you need to know who God is personally, and that only comes by faith in His Son directly, and by His grace that you're saved. So... This is why a lot of religions will, uh, Christian religions will pick on the Catholic Church because like Mormonism, they throw so much in between you and your faith and the God of heaven. They throw in the Eucharist, they throw in Mother Mary, they throw in all types of rosaries, they do all kinds of stuff. It's very, it can be legalistic too. They, and so it just gets bigger and bigger and bigger and none of that is what biblical Christianity is about. So Mary, what you need to do, just like anybody needs to do, is you need to go to the Lord and you need to say, I'm a sinner, save me, aside and away from this religion I'm a part of. You still want to go to the Catholic Church? Go ahead. But you've got to establish a relationship with God through His Son, by faith on His Son and His Son alone. Does that make any sense? Yes, we're encouraged to do that. We, we, also, we say the rosary so that Mother can intercede on our behalf. Yeah, we you do know, not pray to her. We do not pray to saints. Yeah. We pray that they will intercede on our behalf. Yeah, well, why we would have, we the, have a personal relationship with God? I don't think my nervous it's system Jesus. can take uh, opening up a Catholic avenue now. Uh, I think I'll start drinking tonight if I do that. 
Okay, Mary. There, Mary, there are no intercessories needed but Jesus Christ and his shed blood. There are none. There are no saints. There is no Mother Mary. That is all the, the constructs of men. And, and you have been taught that with your innocent heart seeking God. You have been taught that. And, and honestly, Mary, like I said, you want to stay Catholic? That's your choice. But you've got, to, you've got to learn to go to God directly through his son and faith in his son and his son alone. And that's what I'm petitioning you to do on this call tonight. Okay, thank you. You're welcome. Bye-bye. We're going to uh, Bradley, and then we're going to come to Kelly and Lynn. Bradley, Bradley, you're on Heart of the Matter. How's it going, Sean? Going well. How are you? <laughs> Good. I have uh, two different things. I was uh, sitting here. I only had one to start with, and then uh, while waiting, something funny actually happened. I just moved uh, just uh, same town over, but I just moved uh, to, I guess, what they call a different ward, and uh, the Relief Society. My wife has been inactive for about three years now, and uh, <clears throat> the Relief Society uh, women came by, and I had your show on in the background, and uh, it took them about um, 15 seconds or so, and they kind of caught a glimpse about um, you talking about stuff, and I could, they came with smiles, and then as they heard a question, and then they heard an answer, they got this kind of like a, what the heck, like almost a, uh, you should be concerned about something behind you look on their face. <laughs> I, I almost lost it at the door. I almost started busting up laughing. Um, that that brings more joy to me than you could ever know. <laughs> but, uh, I bet they were terrified. It was, it was absolutely hilarious. But um, I wanted to, uh, my initial thing was that I wanted to call in and say, uh, there, uh, you said earlier in the program that there was, um, before 1978, there was just blacks that controlled the priesthood. <clears throat> but when they built the um, the temple back in uh, or down in uh, Brazil, there was um, islander people that were not able to hold the priesthood either. It's because it's because they thought they had black blood in them. Oh, is that what it was? Yeah, <clears throat> okay. yeah, and yeah, that was the whole problem with the Brazil thing that Kimball faced. And so he, that, he, that's when he received the revelation to open it up to everybody. Ah. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, me, me being half black, I was sitting there when I read that the first time, uh, these prophets saying that or whatever, and read about their IRS stuff and their, you know, their college teams when it played against them yeah. and the stuff or whatever. I was like, yeah, are you kidding me? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Good call, Bradley. Thanks so much. Yep, have a good one, Sean. You too. Bye-bye. We're going to Kelly in Cedar City. Kelly, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hi. Hi, Kelly. Um, thank you for taking my call. You're welcome. Um, I just want to say first, praise God for that he's using you just how you are, even with your faults, because that's what he does best. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> um, I just had a question about the angels. Yeah. How you were talking about them not having sex with each other. Yeah. Um, I just... I heard once that in Genesis chapter 6, um, the angels procreated with humans to form the giants before yeah. the flood. Yeah. And I just wondered what you had to say about that, and I'll hang up and let you answer that. Yeah, it's a good one. It's a good question. And that's, that's uh, talking about uh, the, the giants, and then there's also one in Sodom and Gomorrah where the angels came down and the men of Sodom and Gomorrah tried to seduce them or tried to give them their daughters. So, uh, you know, I've thought of that when I was preparing that, when I wrote those things. But uh, I just don't think 
that it's part of their uh, makeup because they're not anthropomorphic. Angels can appear in the form of men, and it's possible that some fallen angels assumed the, the form of, of men or women, and they had sexual relationships with uh, human beings and formed the, the giants. And in Sodom and Gomorrah that occurred. But angels are not in the form of uh, men. They can take all kinds of forms. So uh, I just don't believe it's part of God's economy that they have uh, human reproductive organs. But uh, maybe they have another kind. I don't know. But I, I just it's just a thought. I can't prove that. But it was just a thought. And I knew I, I could get a call on that. But I, I don't know the answer to tell you the truth. Uh, on, on how that happened. You ask me my thoughts, it's basically um, that. We have Lynn from Murray, second time caller. There's a question here. Are the Elias aware of the places in the Bible that talk about fables and genealogy? Uh, they are. They usually don't hear those or listen to those or see them. But we're gonna, when we get to genealogy, we're in the F's now. We're coming to the G's. We're going to talk about genealogy at length. This says, do the LDS belief teach that God came down and had sex with Mary? Uh, they used to teach that. Strongly, McConkie was the last one to really strongly teach it. But still, this is the point. They do teach that the Holy Ghost did not overshadow Mary, but that Heavenly Father did have relations with him herself. Now, they also teach that Heavenly Father has a body of flesh and bone. Therefore, if Heavenly Father, in a body of flesh and bone, has relationships with Mary in a body of flesh and bones, it, it just tacitly infers that a sexual act occurred as natural as a man and woman who are human would. And so, uh, but LDS leaders used to teach emphatically, yes, Heavenly Father had relationships with Mary as a, uh, any man and woman would have. Next question, uh, if a physical body and another physical body mate, they make another physical body. So why, if a glorified body mates with another glorified body, do they make a spirit and not another glorified body? That's a great question. I like that one. Good food for thought. And finally, with 45 seconds left, another fruit of Mormonism is when and if they fall away, they pick and choose what they want to believe in the Bible. We all do that. Mormonism too, but a good point. Listen, join us next week uh, here on Heart of the Matter as we continue on and talk about the topics as they relate to biblical Christianity and Mormonism. Every day, as I mentioned before, 850 people are being uh, converted into Mormonism, most of them from Christian churches, from people who hadn't lear haven't learned the Bible. So there is a battle going on right now, and they're positioning themselves more and more strongly, and this is a very important battle for the souls of people uh, who get trapped in this religion. So we'll see you next week here on Heart of the Matter. Mm -hmm.